Hey everybody, it's Aldo Gandhi, and I just want to let you know really quickly that our swag shop is reopened. DeepDishTees.com is where you go, and that's tees with T-E-E-S. Clever name, guys. They're the new home of our merchandise. You can get t-shirts, you can get caps, you can get coffee mugs, you can get hoodies, you can get all sorts of good stuff, and you'll help out the bar room with the purchase. So head over to DeepDishTees.com. The following program is a production of the Barroom Network. It is intended for all audiences. Doug Buffoon. This defense sucks. This is moronic. John Buffoon. Is Bill Lazor a good play caller, or is Nat Nagy such a bad play caller that it makes average look like Bill Walsh? Doug was behind the microphone first. He never held back. Very difficult to score when your offense is on the bench. When your defense is out there giving up 70, 80, 70, 64-yard drives. Now, it's his nephew, John, and there's no holding this buffoon back either. What the Bears are right now is what has been wrong with them for over 30 years. Just aim to be competitive and do your best to be average. And maybe we should just accept that, because the front office sure as hell did. I don't mind you getting beat. I got my ass whipped many times. But I tell you, I took somebody down with me. The games have been close because the defense, your offense, which you came in to revolutionize, has gotten worse as the years go by. It's Buffone 55, the John Buffone Show. Hello and welcome to another edition of Buffone 55, a fast-paced approach at breaking down those Chicago Bears. I'm John Buffone, and with me as always is my producer and co-host, Alyssa Barbieri. Alyssa, for the first time in over a month, we're doing a show coming off of a Bears win, but still doesn't really feel like that, does it? No, it kind of feels like all of the losses that we've had to endure. I mean, that's what happens when you need a last second field goal to beat the worst team in the league in the Lions. So, I mean, it was a little stressful Thanksgiving there for a minute, but they got the win. Yeah, I guess. I'm not trying to downplay it, but it was just a really uninspired win in a situation where you thought maybe the Bears would be inspired, but we'll get that. We'll get to that in a little bit. We have an awesome guest lined up to help us better understand the Bears' next opponent, the current number one seed in the NFC, the Arizona Cardinals. But just in case this is your first time watching or listening to Buffon 55, Alyssa, break down the rules of Buffon 55 for everybody. Absolutely. So Buffon 55 has three segments, and we always start off with our B55 segment. That's when I ask John five questions, and his responses must be completed within 55 seconds. The 55 is John's way of paying tribute to the great Doug Buffon, his uncle, his mentor, and a man who played 15 seasons with the Bears and wore number 55. That's then followed by learning about the Bears' upcoming opponent from someone who follows them closely. And today we are thrilled to have Jess Root, the site editor of Cardswire over at the USA Today Sports Network. We then finish up finish things up by going into Buffon's basement, where we have a Bears therapy session and get out all of our rage. So, John, you know, it's, it's been a couple weeks because we had that short Thanksgiving week. You think you can shake the rust off and get back into the swing of things? Well, if not, it'll just be in line with everything else that goes around on the Chicago Bears. So we'll, we'll see. We'll go. We'll go with it. 
Our show has nice parallels sometimes with the Bears, but I think we do a much better job than them. So. You're right. <laughs> So, John, like you said, the Bears did win last week on Thanksgiving, albeit a narrow victory over the worst team in the league. But there is something different about watching the Bears early on a Thursday during a holiday. What was your takeaway from the Thanksgiving games? Your 55 seconds start now. Well, to be honest, I'm very thankful that it was on Thanksgiving. I told myself I was going to stay off of Twitter during the Bears game and for the majority of the day anyway. I wanted to focus on being with my family and enjoying the day because I don't get to make it home very often. But actually, it was really refreshing. I watched the game. I got irritated by the game. But I was able to distract myself with copious amounts of food. When there was a three and out, I'll just grab another plate of turkey. Andy Dalton throws a pick in the end zone. Nothing an entire pecan pie can't take care of. Now, I wouldn't suggest doing that for every game of the season because with the way the Bears play, you're probably going to put on about 300 pounds. But having those distractions and not dwelling on the shortcomings of the Chicago Bears was something I think we could all be thankful for. And until this team gets fixed, I wouldn't mind if they played on every major holiday. I'm sure the players would probably disagree with that, but you get my point. Thanksgiving was a good time to watch football. I mean, you're thankful. I was a little agitated because this is the second year I've had to work. Second year in two years, three years, I've had to cover and work on a Thanksgiving. And I'm like, man, I really just want to kind of sit back and enjoy football without having to worry about about all that. But like you said, I was like at halftime, you started eating. And so I was just kind of going back and forth. I'm watching. But, you know, we kind of know how the Bears are at this point. The script is already, you know, the movie was playing itself out. And I really felt like that was going to be a loss the way it was shaping out. So, I mean, it's going to be nice because I don't think that the NFL is going to put the Bears on Thanksgiving again anytime soon. So at least we can kind of sit back and relax in the years to come. Yeah, and and my family eats like four times throughout the day. So our first our first meal was at like eleven thirty, and then we eat again at two, and then we eat again at four, and then one more time at six, and then it's like, oh, before we go, we're gonna take another play with us. So there was I was already in like a food coma when the Bears started playing, so everything was fine. I was good. I didn't have to work, so I I, I feel bad that you did, but I I did not have to work, so it was I could just sit back and be like, I'll just let this unfold. I don't need to comment on anything. Oh, you lucky duck. And I'm sure the Bears didn't help with that food coma. (laughs) You know, John, even though the Bears won, it still didn't feel like a big moment for this team. It may, however, have been a big moment for Matt Nagy, who was staring down reports of his own termination throughout the week. What a week it was. Do you think this game did anything one way or another to impact Matt Nagy's future? You have 55 seconds. You know, just when you think an organization can't get any more dysfunctional, they find another level. Look, I don't know if the report had any merit to it. Is it possible that the report was true? It got leaked somehow and made the Bears look like idiots and they decided that they weren't going to pre-fire a coach, especially after a win on Thanksgiving? Sure. Around the Chicago Bears, why would that scenario seem so far-fetched? The story getting leaked may have actually saved Matt Nagy's job for a couple of weeks. But this whole debacle is just so on brand for the Bears, isn't it? Because they hate taking control of any situation and proactively shooting things down. Chris Tabor had to be the first guy to field questions about this. They probably didn't address it because they didn't want to give merit to it. They didn't want to validate it. But all you did was create a huge distraction around your team and you let social media and the traditional media run wild with this story and just craft all the narratives around your team because you wouldn't take control. Yeah, I mean, as far as this win helping Matt Nagy, it might have saved his job for a week or a couple weeks or maybe to the end of the season. I think it's pretty clear that he's going to be out after this year. But like you said, the one, the main takeaway from this week is 
it was just an absolute mess the way that it was handled. The reports coming out just kind of felt like one after the other, but it was the way that the front office and the ownership handled it and how, like you said, Chris Tabor was the first one out there. Then they threw they threw Tabor, Nagy, the players, and it was a full 24-plus hours before George McCaskey leaked a report that he finally met with players. And it's just, like you said, it's dysfunction just at the top of the organization. So even though Matt, when Matt Nagy is gone, because I feel like obviously that's where this is headed, it doesn't really make you feel too good about the future of this organization because you still have those guys running it up top. So, I mean, maybe it saves his job to the end of the season, but I was really curious to see. I wasn't rooting for the Bears to lose. I was just curious what would have happened if yeah. they had lost to the Lions, and they were very close. They were a Cairo Santos field goal away from losing to them. So, I mean, I was curious to see if that would have had some kind of impact because I feel like, like you said, there was a little, there was some merit to the story. Probably not that he was informed before the game that he was going to be fired. Can you imagine that? Hey, you're gone, yeah. but can you coach this game real quick? Because we're on a short yeah. week. Yeah. So, I mean, that just didn't in. kind of seem plausible at all. So, I mean, just an absolute just, just – it was just a terrible week for the Bears. I was exhausted, and they hadn't even played a game yet. Yeah, and, and to your point, like, I get – not wanting to validate a report that might not be true. But this wasn't just like Bears fan 305 on Twitter saying he had some kind of source. It was coming from a reputable reporter. And so when that happens, you have to be proactive. And all it would have taken was George McCaskey, not, maybe not even saying anything, just giving out a written statement that says, it's, it's not true. Or Ryan Pace coming out and saying, this isn't true. There's no merit to that. But they just sat around like they always do. Just let it take. I'll talk to the team. I'll, I'll do this. Guess what? You, regardless of if you think you can control the message or not, the media is not going to just be quiet because you're quiet. The, the, the questions aren't going to stop because you don't want to answer them. Do you think not addressing it was going to keep Chris Tabor from getting bombarded by questions from the reporters that day? Sending out your special teams coach to be a meat shield to people and say, well, we don't want to address it. Oh, yeah. Why don't you just throw your special teams coach out there to handle it then? Good job. Great leadership. Because those questions are going to come regardless of whether or not you address it. So you better have a game plan. That's called having a good PR strategy. And they're really bad at that. And one of the reports that came out too was, I think it was before McCaskey had addressed the team where Nagy told coaches and players that, you know, you addressed the rumor of his firing and players didn't believe him. Like, I mean, but, that was one of the crazier things that happened. It was just a complete mess from start to finish before Thursday's game. And I don't think that we've seen the last of this, especially coming up when they had the Cardinals and Packers, the two top teams in the NFC on deck, like things could get pretty ugly. And it was at the same time with what did George McCaskey allegedly told Matt Nagy he had to start Justin Fields that that, yes. that whole that whole window of things there. But we're we're way off the rails here. We're gonna get into this in Buffon's basement later. But I, we, this is a venting session already. I like this. Oh, it really is. I mean, that's always what the show is about. I mean, it, it's right. it's a therapy session. We hope that our audience you're joining us too, and 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 let's you know keep the comments coming because this is what the mm. show is. It gets we get to right. let our our feelings out. And speaking <laughs> of quarterbacks. Andy Dalton, Andy Dalton became the first Bears quarterback in roughly a year to throw for over 300 yards in a game. After you get over that pathetic statistic, I have to ask, was Dalton's performance an indictment on himself, his coach, or his counterpart, Justin Fields? 55 seconds are on the clock. 
Well, first and foremost, it's not an indictment on Justin Fields because through this stretch, Nick Foles, Mitchell Trubisky, and Andy Dalton have all gotten starts. Second, I'm happy for Andy Dalton. He hasn't had many 300 games lately. Uh, out of the 10 games where he played meaningful minutes last year, he only had th- a one 300-yard game. So good for Andy Dalton. Uh, I don't think this is going to shock anyone when I say this is an indictment on coaching. Your groundbreaking offense hasn't produced a 300-yard passer in a year, and you've had four quarterbacks to try it with three of which you picked for this system the dinking and dunking the poor protection schemes and the misuse of quarterback talent which is probably the biggest thing this system looks the same whether it's someone like justin fields who runs 4 440 or someone like nick Foles who looks like he's wearing scuba flippers whenever he starts to run so the lack of 300 yard games falls directly on the guy that was brought in to revolutionize the way we think about offense yeah, you know, when you look at it, that's just like reading that. I'm just like that. That's pretty crazy. But then it's also not surprising because we've watched Matt Nagy over the last four years, and his offense has gotten worse each season, which is the exact opposite of where you want to head. But I mean, I also wasn't surprised by the fact that Andy Dalton threw for so many yards because if you looked, this was like a classic Matt Nagy game plan, right? He abandoned the run, right? Mm-hmm. Poor David mm-hmm. Montgomery, right? It's like he's become invisible again. So when you do that, of course you're gonna have to throw the ball. It's not like you're getting into any kind of shootout with the Lions. And, you know, they're one of those, they're the second worst, they were the second worst run defense in the league. And you could only put, you couldn't even put a hundred yards on them because Matt Nagy is like, oh no, maybe he was coaching for a job. Maybe he thought, you know, hey, I don't know how this is going to pan out, whether win or lose. So, hey, if I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out my way, right? So yeah. I'm going to throw the ball and I'm going to forget about the run. That's, that's You're classic right. Matt Nagy. He may have just taken the reins off of like, hey, Bill, Bill Lazor. Uh, if this is my last time, I'm calling everything. Give me the Denny's menu. This is my game. Uh, this might be the last game I ever call in the NFL as far as play calling. Give me the sheet. It's mine. And he went out in a blaze of glory, just edging <laughs> out the winless Lions. Yeah, and he certainly looked like he was more involved, too, right? He was holding that Denny's menu, talking to the headset. Yeah. So, I mean... We'll, we'll never know, I guess. But, I mean, it did kind of seem like he was like, you know, this is this could be my last game, so give it to me. i got to be in mm. control. As the control – we know the control freak that Matt Nagy is. So. Carry me out on your shoulders, boys. We did it. <laughs> and so speaking of the receiving game, Darnell Mooney has had to take on the number one role since Allen Robinson has gone down due to a hamstring injury. Allen Robinson's 2021 season hasn't gone the way anyone has wanted it to, which makes his future even more uncertain. John, how do you see the wide receiver position playing out over this season? The clock starts now. Well, I said at the beginning of the year, I thought Allen Robinson was going to leave. And right now, I'm even more convinced that he's going to leave. That doesn't mean that I want him to, but there's just so much against it right now. The lack of progress on that long-term deal during the offseason, paired with the fact that he's not producing right now, and he's hurt. Throw in the fact that there may be a new coach and a new GM in town next year, and they probably don't want their first act in office to be shelling out 14 to $17 million for Allen Robinson, who in 2021 is putting up half the numbers he put up in 2020. So what I can see happening is the Bears looking into free agency and thinking, who can they pair with Darnell Mooney so he doesn't get locked down all the time? So Chris Godwin's out there. Uh, Devontae Adams would be the, the biggest punch to the gut for Packers fans. But there's also more realistic names like Mike Williams from the Chargers, maybe Juju Smith-Schuster. All that being said, if they could get Robinson on a discounted rate, that would be great. I just don't see it happening. 
Yeah, I think we would all love Alan Robinson to come back. And I don't know, maybe how things, you know, shake out with whether Ryan Pace is back, you know, that one's more up in the air. It seems like he could be back given, especially given the last two drafts, his 2020 draft class are big time yeah. contributors this season. And this 2021 class, obviously you got the quarterback and there are some Khalil Herbert and there's some up and comers. People have been hurt. Larry Bourne's been doing a good job at right tackle. So, I mean, depending on what happens there, if there's a new GM, maybe he's able to kind of convince Alan Robinson, hey, you know, I respect you. I'm going to pay you the money that you deserve, right? So, I mean, we'll see. But, you know, I've been really impressed with Darnell Mooney because, I mean, he's been the number one receiver this season statistically. Mm-hmm. But he's put together two uh, back-to-back 1,100-yard 1000 yard receiving games yeah. without Allen Robinson, which is impressive, right? Because he's the guy that everyone's going to key in on now. So, I mean, regardless, wide receiver is going to be a crucial uh, like area of focus heading into the offseason yeah. because aside from Darnell Mooney, who do you got? I mean, I love no. the idea of Devontae Adams given to me. And any opportunity yeah. to make Packers yeah. fans angry, I'm on board with that. Yeah, and you can't go into next season with Darnell Mooney and then maybe Marquise Goodwin and Bird and the, the rest of the guys that you tried to throw together into the into the receiving core this year. So they're going to have to go out and get people regardless whether it's going to be a number one or not. I think the emergence of Darnell Mooney is going to make their decision to let Allen Robinson walk a little easier because if Darnell Mooney was – garbage then it's like we gotta have we have to have somebody so we gotta go get Allen robinson now they're just maybe trying to supplement uh darnell mooney hopefully they make some good moves in the offseason i hate that we have to already be talking about the offseason with 30 percent of the schedule left but here we are and i love that you said hopefully too because we don't have much hope that they're gonna no. be able to fix things no <laughs> that's just the tone of the show forever <laughs> yeah oh forever <laughs> So, John, we're getting close to that time of the season where fans really start paying attention to the playoff standings. The NFC standings have been getting shared a lot on Bears Twitter because Chicago is labeled, as of now, wait for it, in the hunt, right? That classic (laughs) in the hunt graphic. (laughs) And uh, head coach Matt Nagy commented earlier this week that, quote, to see that, that you're one game out with all those teams that are in the mix for that last spot. I don't care who you are. If you're a competitor, you care about that. So, John, this seems kind of laughable, but what is your take on this talk about the Bears' playoff odds? No clock, just talk. Okay, so I know the graphic that we're referencing, and I think it included like 88% of the conference, and the Bears were still at the bottom. So I get why Matt Nagy has to say that, because he's on the cusp of getting fired, and he'll take any opportunity to spin something into a positive. For the rest of the Bears fans, guys, what are we doing? (laughs) You watch this team. You see what they're about. I I know there's something to be said about being an eternal optimist, but gee whiz. And also, let me take this opportunity to bring up another issue. If we as a society are going to keep expanding playoff fields in major sports, then qualifying for the playoffs should no longer be a benchmark of determining good teams and good coaches. Hell, 44% of the conference makes the playoffs now. To me... There's a difference between making the playoffs and being a playoff team. The Bears fell ass backwards into the playoffs last year. They didn't clinch a playoff spot with a win. The Cardinals just kind of choked and the Bears had the tiebreaker. And if it were just a year earlier, the Bears wouldn't have even qualified for the playoffs because they were only taking six teams. So while I can appreciate the in the hunt crowd, the only thing the Bears should be hunting for right now is a new coach and a new culture that doesn't think being in the top half of the conference is considered a successful season. We'll be back with more Buffone 55 right after this.
Welcome back to Buffon 55. Now it's time to learn a little bit more about the Arizona Cardinals. So I'm going to kick it back over to John to bring out our guest. John, take it away. Thank you, Alyssa. Like we said earlier, I am so excited to have Jess Root on the show. He's the site editor of the Cards Wire. Jess, welcome to Buffon 55. Thanks for being on. How you doing, man? I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me on. You know, talking Cardinals is kind of my thing these days. So, um, and it's a good year to do it. So I, I, I get a kick out of listening to the, to the rants because I've had a few of those in the past, <laughs> not this year. It's, it's good. I was going to say this year, the Cardinals, they have the best record in the NFL and have one of the most impressive teams, both, both offensively and defensively. So I guess I want to start off with just what is your argument for the Cardinals being the team to beat in the NFC? I think that you have to just have to look at the fact of how consistent they've been on both sides of the ball. Everyone knew it coming into this year that they were supposed to be great offensively. They were they had a stretch in the middle of last season where they looked pretty dominant offensively. You got Kyler Murray in year three. They added AJ Green. You've got DeAndre Hopkins. You added you added some strength to that offensive line with Rodney Hudson. But the defense has been the difference this year. Um, they went from year one in 2019 to being atrocious, especially in the past defense. They were atrocious, historically bad. Passer rating allowed for the entire season of 109. Basically, they made every every quarterback look like a Hall of Famer or looks like every quarterback was having a career year. Uh, last year, things improved. They, they started out kind of they started out as a top 10 defense, and then it then it kind of petered down to middle of the road. And and we've always felt over here that. If the offense is doing what it's supposed to do, that the defense just needed to be not terrible to compete. But this year, it's more than that. They are in the third year in their system. Uh, they they really don't have, in, in terms of personnel units, they don't really have any weaknesses. Everyone is performing well. They have one area defensively where they can be exposed, and that's in the run defense. But their run, best run defense is actually their offense. Because once they get a score or two up, they don't have to defend the run anymore is how it's been. But basically, you know, if you look at what's happening right now, the Cardinals are getting healthy. They've proven they can win with their backup in the game. So Colt McCoy, um, you know, he's been in the league forever. He went 2-1 and one in three games, winning both games on the road in the division. And so offensively, they're rolling. Defensively, they are playing at an extremely high level. And the play that they're having on the road now, granted, they're on track to play at home in the playoffs right now, but it, it just makes it so that you really don't have any weaknesses, which makes it you've got a guy in Kyler Murray who's making clutch plays. You look at the Packers game. It ended poorly, but they they turned the ball over twice before that, and they were in a position where they made a defensive stop, and Murray was that close. To Aaron Rodgers, to doing to Aaron Rodgers what Aaron Rodgers does to everyone else, and so if AJ Green just turns around, they win that game. <laughs> and a big part just of the Cardinals' success, obviously, has been Kyler Murray, like you're just talking about. And you know he hasn't played since Week Eight with that ankle injury, and he's expected to make his return. It just figures against the Bears Sunday at Soldier Field. You know, looking at Kyler this year compared to last year and the years previous, what have you noticed has been the biggest difference with him? One thing that's happened, he doesn't have to use his legs this year. Uh, last year, he was, the Cardinals had a really good rushing offense, but it was basically because of the threat of him to run. This year, he's been a very, very, 
very minimal part of that. Now he's had the rushing touchdowns early in the year, but he's he's only running when he absolutely needs to. He gets first downs. He's a he's a threat in the red zone. But his passing, the passing offense, and I think more than anything, it was the offensive line and the confidence that he has in his receivers. You have an aging AJ Green, but he's still a legitimate target on the outside, and it moves Christian Kirk, who can win on the outside and is more natural. Per- in his more natural position in the slot. So basically, he has more better talent around him. He has more confidence. And, and if you look at a lot of the metrics, his accuracy is incredible. I, I saw on ESPN, on, the, on I think it was on the Manning cast version of a couple of weeks ago. And now Andy Dalton, he was at the top of that list. He had the the fewest bad throws. Uh, now, granted, he only had 50 passes up up into that point. But Kyler Murray has, uh, among qualified starters who've thrown over 200 passes this year, has thrown the fewest bad passes all year. He is, his accuracy is incredible. He puts the ball where it's supposed to be, and that's been incredible in the intermediate and deep game. He's one of the m- most effic- effective deep throwers. They throw the ball short a lot. And then they throw the ball down the field. And basically everything about Murray has improved on this play. But what's been most impressive is that now in year three, I don't know if it was related to now Larry Fitzgerald walking away, not officially retiring, but just not playing anymore. It's now his team. And he can fe- he feels like it's he's in control. He can talk to guys and doesn't have to feel any. I don't know if there's any awkward parts to it, but the fact that he's trying to lead the team and he still has this legend, it's definitely his team now. I want to turn uh, attention to the run game because in the offseason, the signing of James Conner was kind of outside of maybe Arizona panned pretty hard as far as this guy didn't have it in Pittsburgh his last year. And now with an increased role, is actually playing pretty well. The Cardinals have a top 10 rushing attack. What has been the key to success on the ground for the Cardinals, and what can the Bears expect on Sunday? Number one, it's the physicality in the run game. They upgraded at center with Roddy Hudson replacing Mason Cole, little undersized, um, and wasn't great last year. But now they get a legitimate, you know, multi-pro bowl guy who's still playing. Arguably, there are people around here who believe he's the best center in the game. Steve Kine, general manager, head coach, they think he's one of the best centers in the game. That physicality up front. And then you upgrade at guard. J.R. Sweezy last year was not good. And and so they have had a better play there. But James, you, James Conner gives them a perfect complement with Chase Edmonds. Um I and I don't I couldn't see why anyone would criticize the signing. He's getting paid a million and a quarter, um, and and what he does he he offers every down like a feature back talent used primarily in a physical back uh, role and because of his size and his physicality makes him a good complement to the to the smaller faster quicker Chase Edmonds, but when with Edmonds going down because he's been that guy before he can carry that load. Um, Maybe not necessarily. Do you want to rely on him for an entire year in that role? Especially since the fact, one of the things that he's had issues with is durability throughout his career, but it's been a perfect balance to physicality and speed uh, and big play potential. And, And people are surprised at the addition in the passing game that he's been like the coaches were surprised, but if you look at his career, that shouldn't be, he's, he's able to be a number one back 
and just didn't get the attention in the offseason that perhaps many thought probably should have. You know, in that Cardinals passing game, you know, that's going to be something that their secondary is, they're going to have their hands full. And, you know, it doesn't help that, well, it helps the Cardinals that DeAndre Hopkins looks primed to return this week also. So Cardinals are getting back Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. You know, what can you, can you give us a lowdown on this Cardinals receiving core and who are some players that could give the Bears defense some trouble? You know, everyone knows about DeAndre Hopkins. AJ Green's been very consistent this year. He's had some big games. And, and before Hopkins went down, they were actually on pace, basically on pace to have about all three, Hopkins, Green, and Christian Kirk all hit 1,000 yards. Uh, and, and if you're including Rondell Moore, their, their speedy rookie, he was also on pace for over 800. Now, his production dipped a little bit, um, but he will be used. If you, if you see what they did last uh, against the Seahawks, they used Rondell Moore as the extension, kind of the Chase Edmonds mode. He had 11 catches, 50 yard, 51 yards against Seattle. Um, but you're going to get him in space. Um, Christian Kirk has been very, very good this year. He's a guy that they believed he could be number one, number two receiver quality, but now he's a number three playing in the slot. And, and his play outside and inside has really kind of been a game changer. They, they don't have in in the receiving room they don't really have any weaknesses because they've got speed they've got playmaking ability they've got an elite player in hopkins and they've got length and and ball skills with aj green i do want to talk about the addition of zach Ertz because they traded for him uh before the deadline he comes in uh starts catching balls right off the bat what has the what has been the impact zach Ertz has had on this offense and can the bears expect any kind of uh I, well should i say will zach Ertz put his stamp on this game i don't know if the, here's the thing the weapons that the cardinals have right now if they don't turn the ball over they're nearly impossible to stop they're nearly impossible to stop if they don't turn the ball over and so they just have an abundance of riches in terms of talent in the passing game whether it's hopkins green christian kirk and now they add Ertz. and, and well the main thing that is important is to note that while he isn't so max williams was having a career year now granted max williams is not exactly a household name he's a fantastic blocker zach Ertz quite isn't quite that but you could say that he's probably the most talented tight end that they've ever had here in arizona and they had todd heap basically uh let's call it a the the corpse of todd heap they <laughs> they brought in johnny mcwilliams Way, 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 way long time ago, um, there was another tight end in the mid-2000s that was that came from the charge. I can't remember his name right now, but he's arguably the best tight end that has ever come in. They have Jermaine Gresham, but he he just needs to he, – he does okay in the run game, but he just gives them another legitimate passing threat in another position that's just making it really hard for teams to defend them because you've got outside, you've got in the slot, you've got in the seam, and then you've got running backs. You've got James Conner and, and with Chase Edmonds in there, they're legitimate pass catching threats out of the backfield too. So the, the passing game, barring turnovers, barring protection problems, the passing game is nearly impossible to defend overall. Well, Jess, you're making me feel great about this game on Sunday. <laughs> but I want to shift gears uh, over to the defense, which has been just as impressive as the offense. You know, the Bears have a top five rushing attack this season, and they're going to obviously try to get that ground game going to try to slow down that Arizona offense as much as they can. Can Chicago find success on the ground against the Cardinals? If they don't give it up. Uh, if they don't bail, 
they can. And it's a matter of, and Carolina did it. The, the What Carolina did and what Green Bay did, and, and to an extent what Minnesota did back in week two was keep the game close, and that allows you to keep with the running game. But what the Cardinals have been doing has been a recipe, especially on the road, it is, it is get a stop, get points, guess what? No more run game. Um, and then they get to create a turnover or two, and that that really wipes it out. They, they have had great games against the run. They held they held Derrick Henry to nine yards in the first half, and I think it was 47 for the game in week one. They held the Browns' offensive uh, rushing attack to a very limited number. of. They were great in those two games. They've had some discipline issues in, in terms of gap, but like, like I mentioned earlier, their, their top run defense is their offense, and so – if the Bears can find some success early, keep the game close or create an early turnover, like the Cardinals had two turnovers against Carolina, then the run game will 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 factor in. They are, they potentially are getting Rashard Lawrence back from from injured reserve this week, and so they are going to be beefing up the defensive line. Uh, that said, that said, it, it it will come down to how close they can keep the game. If they can keep the game close and run the ball, they'll be able to slow the game down and limit. Arizona's possessions if the Cardinals build up go out to the lead as you know they didn't even get out to a big lead the Lions and Nagy bailed on the running game and so imagine once you see once you're staring the staring at those receivers that the Cardinals have and you get down 10 points the running game probably won't come into a pit don't be a factor after that that's why as soon as you said as long as they don't bail I just started laughing <laughs> they're gonna, they're going to bail before they're going to they're going to bail when they get off the bus so that that's that's basically already a, a foregone conclusion but the bears have also given up the most sacks in the NFL this year should we expect it to be a long day for whoever lines up under center for the bears against this Arizona pass rush um probably especially if it, it especially if they keep it in th- third long Chandler Jones seems to be Back in form, he's got three sacks in the last two games. Marcus Golden's up to 10 sacks for the year. Jordan Phillips is running into form after missing practically all last season on and off. He's getting pushed from the interior. Um, They have a very good pass rush. And when early on they weren't getting sacks, they were causing disruption. And so whether they finish with sacks or just knockdowns or get uh, Justin Fields or Andy Dalton, whoever, whoever ends up playing off their off their spot, it's going to be a long night. And we we saw Andy Dalton a year ago with with Dallas. It was a long night for him that night. Good. Uh, it's going to be another long afternoon, probably after the first quarter. Uh, <laughs> so you know, we talked about earlier uh, how Andy Dalton had the first three hundred yard passing game for a Bears quarterback in the last year, uh, and they're going to be looking obviously with Matt Nagy to build upon that. But they're going to be facing an Arizona defense that's giving up the fourth fewest passing yards in the NFL. What's your evaluation of this Cardinal secondary, and is there any area that they could exploit? So a lot of it comes down to they're just not making a lot of mistakes in the secondary. They don't have like they got Buda Baker. He's fantastic, and everyone knows who he is at this point now. He's got the name notoriety, the top contract. He's got the Pro Bowls, but their cornerbacks have been very understatedly good. Byron Murphy. He has had a fantastic season. Robert Alford, who's missed the last two years playing this year, has been steady. Marco Wilson, fourth-round rookie. He the, the metrics don't look good. The analytics don't look good. But what you're not getting is 
busted coverages for the most part. We really have avoided that. Um, they're getting good push up front. They have a good edge presence and they have speed in the middle of the field with Isaiah Simmons. Jordan Hicks has lost a step, but he gets everyone in position. Um, and so in terms of pass defense, really what it's been is they, if they win on first and second down, they've been able to drop people into coverage and create fewer spaces and and just avoid the big plays because understatedly last year their pass defense was a top 10 pass defense in the in the league and i think that's more scheme and and lack of mistakes in coverage is kind of what what that is because they went from being horrifically bad to very reliable the last two years and i gotta ask because this is a bears podcast and we need filler time uh what <laughs> what is uh the state of the special teams for the arizona cardinals is there some player that Bears fans should keep an eye on, whether it's a punt returner, kick returner, punter, kicker, long snapper, gunner. Is there anyone that could uh, make a name for himself going into the game against the Bears? Rondell Moore, the rookie out of out of Purdue, what is speed? He hasn't done much in the return. He's had a couple of good returns, but the game-breaking speed is there. Um, you have the, their top special teams players in terms of, of coverage, a lot of them have gotten hurt this year. Zeke Turner's been out. Dennis Gardick is back. Um, but I, I, and probably to your fit, to your benefit, they have a new long snapper, newish. That Aaron Brewer um, got hurt, broke his arm a few weeks ago, fractured his arm a few weeks ago, and and so they've had to replace him with Bo Brinkley. And so he's in his third game. Matt Prater, you guys are familiar with him with his forever time with the with the Lions. He missed three kicks against Seattle. It didn't ultimately mean anything, but he missed two field goals and an extra point. And so maybe necessarily, it won't necessarily be to the Bears' detriment, but it's if they have some of the same issues in the kicking game as they did against Seattle, that could keep the Bears in the game. And just before we let you go, I'm pretty sure I already know the answer to this, but what is your prediction for Sunday's game? You know, the, coming out of the bye, this Cardinals team is super focused. They've been excellent on the road. Um, Kyler Murray coming back, he's going to be itching to, to make some plays. Honestly, the way the Cardinals are going, I, I hate to make it sound like there's going to steam. This could be an ugly game, especially especially if like Roquan Smith can't play, if Akeem Hits can't play, if whether it's Andy Dalton or, or Justin Fields, I think it will be a long afternoon. The Cardinals have hit 30 or more points in every game against except against Seattle and they should have had 30 points if Matt Prater makes his kicks I see them getting the 30s holding the the Bears to 15 or fewer points in that game Jess I love the fact that you gave it to us straight because that's what we need we need this we need we need cold hard facts something to look forward to but before we get you out of here can you let our listeners and our viewers know where they can interact with you on social media where they can see your work and all that other good stuff well the the site's cardswire.com, part of the USA Today NFL Wire. I'm on Twitter, Senor Jess Root, S-E-N-O-R, and then my name, Jess Root. And then for you know, for the podcasters out there, if you want to listen to a Cardinals podcast, my, my show is Rise Up Sea Red. Had it for eight years, 335 episodes into there. We're on every podcast distribution that there is, pretty much. Awesome. Well, Jess, thank you so much for coming on to Buffon 55, breaking down the Cardinals for us, giving us a better idea of what the Bears are up against this coming Sunday. And you know what? Congratulations on actually being able to have fun on a season because it looks like the Cardinals are going to go pretty far this year. So enjoy the ride. We hope to be, we hope to be there. It. We hope to be there one day <laughs> with you. So thank you so much. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jeff. We'll be back with more Buffon 55 after this.
The Barroom Network presents two fired up Bears fans. They are ready to rumble on the Bear Debate. Welcome back to Buffon 55. It's time for Buffon's Basement. That's where Alyssa and I go down to the basement. We walk down the stairs and we throw a big old bucket of ice water onto Aldo Gandia, who fell asleep watching Matlock. Aldo, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> I'm doing really well. It was a great interview and uh, you guys got me all psyched up. I'm uh, anxious to talk football with you guys. I'm anxious to talk football with you, and I want to start with what your thoughts were after the Thanksgiving game, because maybe it was the the turkey, maybe it was the, the, the holiday or whatever it was, but it just seemed like Bears fans were two things after that game, and none of which were good, even though it was after a win. One, indifferent. Two, pissed off that it took that much to beat the Detroit Lions, who have yet to register a win this season. What was your reaction after that game? Uh, probably both of those things. Uh, but, you know, uh, I was at that Bears-Lions game at Soldier Field, and that was a giveaway game by the Lions. They had multiple opportunities in the red zone uh, to score touchdowns. At one point, they decided to go for it on fourth down. You know, they gave that game to the Chicago Bears, not to take anything away from the performance of some of the Bears in that game at Soldier Field, but it, there was this sense that, you know, a good team would have beaten the Bears that day. And I got the sense again on Thanksgiving Day that a good team would have easily beaten the Chicago Bears. And so uh, the feeling going forward, as Mike Ditka said uh, back in 1989, I think, uh, I don't think we'll win another game this year. And that's how I feel about this current crop of Chicago Bears. Alyssa, I know you were working, you were covering the game, but what, what was your initial reaction when you saw, oh, good, because it, it, for me, it was just like, okay, Cairo Santos is lining up for the game-winning field goal against the Lions. And it's just like, 
do I care? <laughs> of course, and then I do, and I do. But like, there was that moment of just like, okay, whatever. But I'm, and I was happy the Bears won. I'm happy he made it. But there was just like that little tiny second in there where it's just like, whatever. <laughs> and then I think, and I hate that. I hate that. So what? Uh, what was? What was your thoughts initially after that game? Well, I was hoping that he made the kick because most of my family are Lions fans. I really did not want to have to hear that after having covered the game. I mean, just, you know, like Aldo said, like that that first game back in week four, I mean, the score didn't kind of really show it, but the Lions choked. You know, that was a game that the Bears could have easily lost. This game they should have lost probably. And, I mean, again, I was curious to see, like, what would happen if they lost, if they gave the Lions their first win. Like, just how much of a disaster would that have been? I'm like, thank goodness, because, like, I'm tired. I want to go eat food and then hang out with my family, not have to cover this, right, in case, you know, Matt gets fired or whatnot. But, I mean, it just – indifferent is a good word because I'm just like, okay, they beat the Lions. <laughs> eh, they probably should have yeah. lost. It's just – I'm like, well, at least I have something to be thankful for, I guess, on Thanksgiving. Uh, it's the only thing that I didn't have to deal with uh, the hounds of my, uh, my – my, the Lions fans that are my family coming after me after me, being like, what was that? Because I had it during the game. I had my uncle texting me. He's like, what is going on? He had money on the Bears, too, in this game, too. So, I mean, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, you know, trying to put Thanksgiving behind us now. And before I go on to the next subject, I do, we saw a comment from Robbie. It was a boxing question. And I got it. And I, lo- I watched the Cambosis Lopez fight. It was a great fight. Cambosis was a surgeon in there. All you Bears fans don't give a crap about what I'm talking about. But it was an incredible <laughs> performance by the Australian. Uh, he did a great job taking Tiafimo Lopez's titles. I was watching that. I had to watch it on my phone because I was at my parents' house. But anyway, I digress. I want to talk about the, uh, the, the report that was around that next throughout the week that he was going to get fired at Thanksgiving, which there was a lot of weird things going on with that. So uh, I, it was hard. I mean, it was, it was, uh, if it wasn't the bears, it'd be hard to believe that a team would pre-fire a coach to be like, it's almost like that, that line in office space. Like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and need you to come in on Thursday. (laughs) But after that, uh, but after that, we're going to go out and let you go. So that part was a little difficult to understand. But at the same time, the Bears, I think the front office did not handle it well. And I understand there's a lot of people saying, well, you don't want to validate it. You don't want to give it any kind of credence. But like I told Alyssa during the B55 segment, those questions are going to be torpedoed at you regardless or not. Or if you say, I don't want to address it. Because those questions are coming. I don't care if you think you can control the message. You cannot. You cannot do that. And, and and by your silence is actually validating the report then. But if you if you don't go if you don't come out and say none of that is true, then your silence is insinuating like, oh crap, they found out. Let's not say anything until after the fact and then we'll go ahead and fire them and then we'll say and then we'll make a statement about it. Your silence can be just as loud as what your statement is. So, uh Aldo, I didn't really get a chance to talk to you too much about this. Um how do you think this game, if anything, impacted Nagy's job just because it would have been hard to fire a guy after he actually won a game. Yeah, I, I agree with Greg Gabriel when he says that he thinks that the Bears have made that decision of what to do uh, regarding Matt Nagy's future already. And so while it's unlikely that they told him you're going to get fired after the game, do a good job against the Lions, um, I, I highly doubt that that happened. But I do think that the Bears are hopefully going to move on. And if I can hijack things for just a second, because I really want to share this thought that I, I shared on an earlier show, the Irish Bears show. 
I think that, you know, the Bears need to bring in an executive vice president of operations. And the time to do that is like tomorrow. And they announced that um, uh, Ryan Pace will be reporting to this executive of vice president operations. So that way, when there's two weeks left in the season, they have a plan about who will be the interim coach for those last two seasons. Matt Nagy will be gone for, uh, for those last two weeks. Matt Nagy will be gone for those last two weeks. And then the executive vice president of football operations and Ryan Pace can then begin the interview process of prospective coaches. And then as soon as the season ends, this executive vice president of operations gives Ryan Pace a gift. Ryan Pace opens it up and there's two airline tickets to anywhere in the continental USA with the note saying you're fired. Bye. Go, go. And so they've gotten a leg up on not only looking for coaching candidates, but also looking for a general manager, which really in essence will be what this executive vice president of operations is. I think in my world, that would be the best case scenario other than the Chicago Bears family, the McCaskey family, selling the franchise to somebody who is much more interested in winning than this franchise is because clearly the actions that they have shown us over the last several years is that because the money is flowing in, victory is not that important. Things are okay. Uh, because if they really did care, they would have done a lot more over the last several years to ensure success than this kind of lackadaisical uh, corporate management that they have been demonstrating the last several years. Yeah, it's so much like, don't touch it. It's making money. Like, don't, yeah. don't, don't mess with it. We're making money hand over fist. What don't, what, why are you going to screw with things now? Cause they're, yeah, they're running it like it's the piggy bank and they're, yeah. they're just going to keep getting money. They're going to keep, but, and who cares about the product on the field? The fans will be, pay for it. The TV deals will still be there. All of the extra money coming in will still be there. Um, and, you know, there's always been those reports that, you know, there's there's internal disarray sometimes between the McCaskey family. Some of them want to get out. Some of them want to stay. And so it's all of this internal fighting between siblings or family members or whatever. Does that taking away from saying, hey, by the way, we're supposed to put together a competitive football team. We're Remember that whole thing that this team's about, you know, playing football? So <laughs> I think that there's just a lot of this weird, like, days of our lives crap going on sometimes that yeah. I don't know if other fan bases or other franchises have to put up with. Maybe they do. But it's just, you know, being around Chicago Bears, you just see it more more often than not. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Alyssa, you you, uh, you were in so you, today on uh, social media there were some reports that Ryan Pace could likely be gone after this season. Uh, it, we've been saying that for who knows two years, but is if he is gone, are you on board with what Aldo's suggestion was? Is bringing in a football operations person? Now the Bears could screw that higher up too, by the way. But I'm just saying, if they bring in a football operations person to be the football mind and let Ted Phillips count his money as an accountant, let the McCaskies do whatever the hell they do and just let this football person actually run things. Oh, absolutely. Can, we could, we, they should bring in Aldo. I mean, he knows exactly what to do. <laughs> just, we're going to let you make the decisions because I, you know, I feel like bears Delegate. at this point can kind of make some better decisions, but yeah, I mean, at, at this point, I feel like with, with pace, it's kind of more like there's, there's reasons to retain him, you know, based on those last two draft classes, but then he also has, you know, some big blunders that he's made, including screwing the quarterback up at first and, you know, bringing on Matt Nagy. Right. But 
you know, technically with John Fox, you know, he was a coach that was assigned to him, so we didn't pick him. So maybe they decided to give him another chance. But I'm all for bringing on a football mind because that's what they need. And we've been saying this forever. Like, like Ted Phillips needs to get out of the picture. You need to bring someone in who knows what they're doing because it starts at the top. I saw a comment from our Detroit guy, and he's like, just say the Bears are a mess. The Bears are a mess. I think we say that every week. <laughs> I've that my entire times. life. <laughs> the entire yeah our entire lives it's just it's it's a mess but um <laughs> yeah i think it starts what at the top and obviously <laughs> obviously it's more difficult to kind of you know to, to go through the whole gm hiring process than just replacing a head coach right that's going to be more difficult you want to get you have to get your gm in place before you go out and hire the head coach which that's why I'm, I'm i'm curious to see how the rest of these games go the rest of the season goes because we do have that new rule where they can start interviewing head coaching candidates in the final two weeks so ultimately, Aldo said, you know, like uh, Gabriel said, uh, that they kind of know what they're going to do with Matt Nagy already, which I think we all know he's gone, right? So, but what is Ryan Pace's fate? And is that something they've decided already? I hope so. And uh, just to address <laughs> that comment that Don Burr says, John Buffon will be ripping Justin Fields by week seven next year. <laughs> I, I highly highly doubt that i will rip everyone i hope not (laughs) we'll be in the honeymoon phase still Still. i'll still now there are plenty of people i will be ripping if some of these people are retained (laughs) uh next year could be a rebuild year and speaking of a rebuild someone who might not be part of that rebuild could be alan robinson because that's a guy that might not be back next year and if there is a new gn if there is a new head coach like I said in B55, I don't know if they're going to say, hey, let's give a bunch of money to this guy who didn't produce in 2021, even though there's a lot of circumstances around that. Uh, mm-hmm. But Aldo, where, what direction do the Bears go at wide receiver next year? Because you, you're thinking Darnell Mooney's going to maybe be the number one, but then who else? Because at that point, there ain't nobody on the roster. Like I don't know. I don't even know who's under contract, but I don't. I don't know if anyone is. So yeah. what do you do? I mean, I, I maybe you draft a guy and then go out and get a, a veteran. But if you're in a rebuild, do you spend a lot of money on a veteran? Right. Yeah. I, I particularly like Alyssa's uh, evaluation of Mooney because to me he is proving that he can be a number one receiver. When you look at those, these last two games and what he was able to accomplish without and A-Rob on the field. And with the guy, he's like Alyssa said, he's been the number one all season. He's he's Justin Fields' favorite target. And so he's only in his second year. So some of the ball security uh, drops, so-called drops, he only has officially two drops, according to most of the websites that I've seen. But he wasn't given a drop like on that first pass that was, he, that was thrown to him on Thanksgiving. So their evaluation or their definition of drops varies from – from mine anyway. Uh, but nonetheless, the point is Darnell Mooney can be that number one. And then, so what do you do about that number two and number three and number four? You need four or five good receivers in today's NFL. And I think you, you're going to go into the, to a rebuild. And so you start shopping around for young players, guys who can develop a chemistry with Justin Fields over the next several years. The good thing, and I know that the, <laughs> I'm going to put a close-up of, of John here when I say this. I know that we, uh, we give uh, Cole Komet a lot of heat, but I do believe that. 
I do believe that Cole Komet is establishing himself as a pretty decent pass catcher. If he can have the kind of numbers that he's had two of the last three weeks, that, that one game against uh, the Ravens, they decided not to throw to any of the tight ends in that game. But he, he has shown the promise, and so hopefully he can develop a chemistry with Justin Fields and uh, and and with the rushing attack we have, and, and Darnell Mooney, you've got there a core of an offense, a passing offense that, you know, could could get you over until you find that superstar playmaker uh, for your offense to complement uh, Justin Fields and the rest of the guys. Well, for the record, I don't hate Cole Komet. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've, I've never been big on high draft picks on tight ends. And yeah. just because, like, like I think I said this yesterday, you look at the top tight ends in the league. Travis Kelsey was a third rounder. Uh, George Kittle was a fifth rounder. In the mm-hmm. same draft where they drafted Adam Shaheen in the second. Uh, Darren Waller was a sixth rounder. Mark Andrews was a third rounder. I've always been a, I've always been a proponent of getting your tight ends in the mid rounds because you can really shape those, those guys sometimes. And you don't have to waste a first or second rounder but because look at some of the first round tight ends throughout the last 10 years and how they flamed out uh um, we can go the whole way back to like oj howard maybe evan ingram you can say but maybe not worth a first round pick david and joku in cleveland uh brandon Pettigrew in detroit uh eric ebron in detroit and they finally got it right with another first rounder in hawkinson uh but also in cincinnati's the same way it was a jermaine gresham i think was a first round pick and then they went and got tyler eifert in the first round so those first and second round tight ends don't always work out so i don't hate cole Komet. i'd hate that they took a tight end in the second round but like you said Mm -hmm. um if he can be a core component to that offense with Darnell Mooney, uh, and hopefully you don't get the the Juju Smith-Schuster effect where when Antonio Brown left Pittsburgh, Juju was like really didn't produce because he was getting everybody's number one. But like Alyssa said, he's kind of already right now. He's getting everybody's number one. I mean, he's 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 with with Allen Robinson not in there, he's holding his own. So we'll see if that can progress and what the hopefully the next regime's plan is uh, with wide receiver. Is that your number one guy? And is, is this a rebuild? Cause if it is, maybe they go draft. Uh, and I don't, honestly, it's hard to tell with wide receivers because sometimes they get overvalued. Uh, the ball kid could, everyone's, everyone's mocking him to the bears. He'll get so much hype. He'll end up probably going to the top 20 then. <laughs> and so it, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be a moot point. So there's, yeah. there's so much that has to go on with that. Um, I do want to talk about that silly graphic about the bears are in the hunt. Not your silly graphic, Aldo, with the spaceships. I'm talking about oh, the spaceships back on. Yeah. <laughs> Alyssa, I wanted to ask because we didn't really get a chance to get into it a lot, but it, no, there's the schedule. Yeah. Okay. Well, you'll go to the schedule. Yeah. There's a spaceship schedule, but uh, with the bears quote unquote in the hunt, what do you take away from that? Because there were a lot of, there's a, you see, and I love enthusiasm. I love positivity. I don't want to, I don't want to stifle that, but I also like realistic thoughts. So when you see that the bears are in the hunt, but you know, there's those 14 out of 16 teams on there in the NFC. What do you, what do you think? I mean, like you said, it's, they're the 14th team out of 16. <laughs> I mean, pretty much everyone's in it at this point and barring just some kind of, you know, miraculous, Come back, but I mean, actually, when you look at it, I was looking at their their final games. Obviously, the final six. I think we can write off the Cardinals and the Packers as losses, right? But then you look at their last four games, and they have two against the Vikings. Up, they have the Seahawks and the Giants. <laughs> and wouldn't it be so Matt Nagy 
right, for the Bears to win their final four games and find a way to sneak into that final playoff spot. That's what terrifies me. Because then again, like if you say the, the, the Bears have made the playoffs three of the last four years, they would use that to justify keeping Nagy. And that's just terrifying to me. So, I mean, I don't think it's going to happen. They barely beat the Lions. But then at the same time, I'm terrified about the possibility of them actually winning the final four games. <laughs> And sneaking into the playoffs, another quick, obviously, loss in the playoffs, and they use that to keep Matt Nagy around. But I mean, it's possible. I don't think it. I don't think they're going to do it. They're just not. They're not as good as they were last year. Like especially defensively, obviously, they're missing a lot of players. So I hope it doesn't happen. <laughs> well, oh no. In that same vein, I think that right now the Bears would have if they didn't trade away their first round pick. They'd have like what the seventh overall pick right now, or something yeah. of that nature, and they're yeah. in the hunt. That's why I I was, as you can probably get from my tone, I was not a big supporter of expanding the playoff field. I don't like that. I don't like when really, really average to sub-average teams get to play in that. I think that you need to earn that, but there's revenue to be had, so I I get it. So, uh, but Aldo, what do you think about the uh, the in the hunt bears? Right. Well, one of the things that I like to do year to year and when it comes to evaluating a football team is you look at the quality of their losses. You know, did they lose heartbreaking games the last minute, the, a funny touchdown against them? Uh, and they were injured and so forth. But this year, you know, the, the quality of their losses, I mean, of their wins is what's concerning. You know, those two wins against Detroit, th- those were gimmies from Detroit. Um, the, the only win of the four that they have that I think was somewhat impressive was the Cincinnati Bengals game. But outside of that, their, their wins have been mediocre. They have been gifts. And, uh, then the, the, the losses, you know, the humiliating losses to Tampa Bay and, and, and so forth. And probably what we're going to witness this year is an indictment about the playoff system. You know, what, one of the things that's probably going to happen either this year or very soon with this playoff format is there's going to be another team in the playoffs with a record that's under 500. And that to me is an abomination. That's not what football or any other sport should be. Uh, you've got to have quality teams in the in the postseason. If you don't, it really, it really, uh, what's the word? Uh, 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 worsens the the quality of football. It waters it down because it's it down. Not, with it within the within the last two years, they've added a regular season game and have added a playoff spot. So now it's you know, I, I understand, but. The, they're, like I said, it's revenue, but how much more are you going to reach for? How much more are you going to take out of the product to try to get more and more money? Because right. eventually the NFL is going to, they, they got to stop with the, well, you know, whether they're going to be 25 games and then every team makes the playoffs and it's a tournament. We might as well just do March Madness. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, uh, there, there needs to be a point where it's just like, we can't take any more playoff teams. You're already taking 44% of each conference. So basically you just have to be in the top half of the conference and you get to go to the playoffs. And I don't, and honestly, I, I hate the fact, because like I said before, the bears weren't a playoff team last year. They made the playoffs, but they weren't a playoff team. They didn't win their way in. They didn't make a strong, they lost, this is the team lost six in a row last year. They went on a six game losing streak and they fell backwards into the playoffs and they got smoked by a team that should have been in the playoffs. And, and, and what I don't like is it takes away from that number two seed that used to get a bye 
now doesn't get a buy. And so now there, I understand there's a strive to be the number one seed to get that buy. But the teams that are actually going to be real contenders for the Super Bowl are paying for this because, you know, the, the number two seed has to play in the wild card round now when they didn't used to just so the Bears can play a game against the Saints. I don't I don't I don't know. I, I don't like that. But it all comes down to how much money can you make? How much money can you – they want to get 18 games eventually. They want to have an 18-game schedule. And then you have seven, team, uh, seven teams from each conference make it. So you're going to have the triple header, which is fun to watch. But it's just you – know, I don't know because eventually you're going to have one of those uh, – well, there's 17 games now. You're eventually going to have an 8-9 and nine team or a 7-10 and 10 team get in there like you were saying, Aldo. And that's mm-hmm. – I hate that. I don't, you should not have – you should not be able to have a losing record and make the playoffs. Um, remember remember this prediction. When you guys are playing around with your grandchildren, there will be a 25-game NFL uh, uh, season, regular season, and uh, they'll be playing two-hand touch. <laughs> no tackling. That's, that's possible. <laughs> that's, that's very possible. Uh, before before we wrap things up, oh, no, put, that, put your spaceship graphic up one more time. Spaceship. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it we see we see the remaining games, and I want to go. I want to go to each of you. Uh, I want. Let's just do it now because we're all we do is talk about next year. Let's just talk about this year real quick. Uh, so, uh, Alyssa, I'll start with you. Bears are currently four and seven. They have six games left. What is their record at the end of the year? So I did uh, a post about this earlier this week, and. For the final six games, I have them losing to the Cardinals, losing to the Packers, and I have them splitting the series against the Vikings because I know the Bears are the, the Vikings are a better football team than the Bears. I get that, but you know those division rival rivalry games, like you know, there's something else, right? And this is me on prime time, and the Bears, you know, historically are pretty good against the Vikings, at least in the Matt Nagy era. Uh, so I have them splitting the Vikings, and then. I had them at first. I had them beating the Seahawks, and I think I want to change that after watching them lose to Washington. Uh, And then I had them beating the Giants, so I had them finishing. uh, What I to get the new numbers right now is at seven and ten. Aldo, what do you think? I I I honestly don't see them winning more than maybe two games. I'm going to predict they only win one game, and that will be either – that'll probably be the home game against the Giants, although the Seahawks are playing so bad. And and Mm -hmm. I think the Seahawks' record at home this year is like one and four. So they might have a chance to win that, but I don't think that they're going to beat the Vikings at all, home or away. And these next two weeks, those look like definite losses. You know, with Roquan Smith out, uh, hopefully he's not out for the entire season, but with him out this week and maybe against the Packers and no Khalil Mack, how are they going to stop these high-powered offenses? I don't see it, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm i looking over this, and I don't know how long Dalvin Cook's going to be out for, for for Minnesota. He's a key part of that offense, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, can, I originally had them splitting with the Vikings – I'm going to stay with that. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm actually, I, I say they win two more games. Uh, and, and I think, no, I, I they're going to split. They're going to split with the Vikings and they're going to beat the Giants because I think by week 16, whatever the hell it, it is that is ailing 
uh, Russell Wilson is going to be gone. That figure will hopefully be, well, for his sake, will be healed and he'll be, you know, back to full cylinders, getting uh, getting back into the swing of things. So I still think they can lose to the Seahawks. So I think they can beat the Giants and maybe split with the Vikings. However, the Vikings could be playing for a playoff spot in week 18 or week 15 as well. They're, they're, they're more in the hunt than the Bears are. So uh, they, they, are, they have something to play for. So I'll give them two more wins. I think they end up being six and 11, which is, you know, a couple wins less than what I thought they were going to have at the beginning of the year. <laughs> I, I thought that they could be an eight, nine, nine and 18. Uh, doesn't look like that's going to happen either. So I think we're all kind of in the same boat. Uh, Alyssa, you said what, seven and seven and 10. I said, six I think and that 11. was before I've changed the Seahawks game. So now I'm actually yeah. six and 11 because I had them at first being the Seahawks, but then I think I changed it. And then I was even watching that Monday night game. I'm like, uh, you think about that. They're playing in Seattle. And, you know, that's never easy as it is. That's Even tough. though Seattle has struggled at home this year, it feels very much like this is a game where the Bears just kind of just yeah. get demolished against a Seattle team that really needs a, a win. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm going to go 6-11. Oh, did you say 5-12? Five 5-12, and 12? Five and 12, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Two 6-11. Five. That's a, that is a far cry from what we well, – well, not a far cry, but a pretty good cry from what we thought <laughs> the Bears could actually do this year. That's three or four wins off of what we thought they could accomplish. Well, let me ask you this. You know, if if Andy Dalton doesn't get hurt and he plays, he starts every game, you know, to Matt Nagy's wishes, that's what his plan was, do you think that this team would have a better record right now and might legitimately, legitimately be in the hunt? Not really. Just because you look at – they got blown up by, like, with 35 points to Tampa Bay – uh, mm-hmm. they, they got the, the, the sacks against that. They had less than a 1.9 seconds to get rid of the ball against the Browns. So I don't know if Andy Dalton, even with his quick release would have gotten rid of the ball any quicker than Justin Fields would have. Uh, does he beat green Bay? Maybe, but I can't say for certain there. And then Justin Fields had good games against San Francisco, and he was the reason they were in the game against Pittsburgh. He had a phenomenal game against Pittsburgh. So maybe, Maybe you think that if Andy Dalton starts from the very first whistle against the uh, the backup against in Baltimore, maybe they win that one. But honestly, maybe one extra game, but not enough to make a difference and not enough to take away reps from your future franchise quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree. I think maybe one more game because, like you said, it was a lot of those games of defense just kind of blew it. And Andy Dalton doesn't play defense last time I checked, so – I mean, when you kind of look at that, and like like John said, at this point, the most important thing is Justin Fields, right? Not enough to to take away that development of the season would have been a wash anyways. So maybe he's good enough for one more win. But again, Justin Fields did contribute to some almost wins and some wins. So yeah, I do think that they would be they would have probably have a couple more wins. Even that game in Cleveland, I know the pass rush was tremendous against the Bears, but they were in that game. To on late in the third quarter, they were in that game, and uh, and and Dalton, he you know he doesn't hold the ball as long as Justin Fields did in that game, and that was his welcome to the NFL, kid. If you're gonna hold the ball that long, guess what? You're gonna get crushed. Now, but I also feel that if Justin Fields, after they drafted him, they the Bears management said, okay, he's going to be the number one quarterback. And he would have had all the number one snaps in preseason, and they got him ready for that Rams game, and he's going to be the quarterback the entire season. I think he, the, the team probably would have as many wins as if Andy Dalton was healthy, perhaps. That's just a guess. But, uh, you know, I, I think 
bottom line is is that the Bears have botched this. <laughs> Matt Nagy has botched it. Ryan Pace has yeah. botched it, and it's time for dramatic changes. How, like I said before, a couple weeks ago, training camp was pointless. You you spend the entire you spend the what three four five weeks the entire off season saying Andy's QB one Andy's our starter we're gonna get this we're gonna get Andy Dalton ready to be the leader of this offense you spend all that time and you gave Andy Dalton all those reps with the ones which means you're keeping the Justin Fields from getting the reps with the one you spent the entire off season and the entire training camp getting Andy Dalton to play and then Justin Fields takes over in the third week anyway and then you don't and then you don't reinstall Andy Dalton so a complete waste of a first training camp for Justin Fields because he had to hurry up and try to build a chemistry with the guys he should have been building chemistry with since July, but it didn't yeah. happen. But it, here we, here we are in December saying the same crap that we were saying in August, but mm -hmm. that, that, that seems to be everything, everything with the Fire Chicago Bears seems to be, yeah, yeah. Everything seems to be cyclical. It doesn't matter what year it is. Although you played me, you played me a, uh, a quote from my uncle on, on the score from years ago about, about how the Bears hire losers, how they don't ever get—they put gravy on bad meat, and they—and so it, it didn't matter what year you play that. It's—it makes sense. You yep. could play that at any time, and it's still relevant, which which makes everyone just boil. But once again, trying to keep the blood pressure down. They, they bear, we're coming off a win. We're coming off a win. That's right. <laughs> we'll see. It's hard to remember that sometimes. Yeah, it's it's it is vain. It's just stop it. It's okay. Got a zen. Got a zen. We're good. We're good. Uh, we're gonna wrap it up before I before I fall over here. But anyway, I <laughs> uh, appreciate any everybody tuning in to this edition of Buffone 55. Make sure you check out all of the Bears programming on the Barroom Network. Greg Gabriel was given his two cents in earlier the week. Uh, Mike North will be is Mike North on this week, Aldo? He'll Mike be on, North uh, is tomorrow. on tomorrow morning at 9:30, and uh, tonight at 9 p.m. Central, we've got the guys from Science Fiction. They're going to talk about the new Ghostbusters movie and then nice. some other science fiction movies. So that's going to be fun. That starts in about 45 minutes. Excellent stuff. And also make sure you tune in after the game. Aldo, myself, and Tyler Ellis will be on for Bear football, giving raw emotions after the Bears, whatever happens against the Cardinals. Uh, a Bear debate, that episode just dropped last night. Tyler Ellis and I going back and forth with 10 big topics going on with the Chicago Bears. Really good episode last yeah. night. Danny Shimon will be breaking down a lot of good tape for the uh, the Bears on uh, Bear Truth with, um, I believe that's tomorrow night, Thursday night, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, and then uh, of course, all the Bears programming. Uh, Dan and Aldo, you guys were on last night. Put on a pretty good, show, pretty good. Show, put on a real good show. Put on a pretty good show. It was, all right. it was actually pretty good. <laughs> pretty, pretty good. You know what? Pretty good show. It exceeded expectations. Uh, <laughs> but and we got we got programming all over the place between Bulls and Blackhawks and everything you could want between sports entertainment pop culture, you name it, the bar room's got it. But uh, listen, before we get out of here, what are you working on? How can people uh, see what you're, see what you're all about? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you can read my stuff over at bearswire.com. Just where you can, you can also find Jess uh, and the Cardinals coverage over at cardswire.com. So make sure to follow both those sites this week, heading into the game. And let me add that the best way to stay informed about all of the great things happening here at the bar room is to follow us on social media at Barroom Network, and you can find us all across social media from Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Excellent stuff. Well, thank you for everyone who tuned in. Like I always say, whether it's your first time or 55th time, we appreciate you listening, whether it's the live version, the podcast version, the audio version, the video version. We love interacting with all of you. We love hearing all the feedback. So thank you. 
But that will do it for this edition of Buffone 55. For Aldo Gandhi and Alyssa Barbieri, I'm John Buffone. We'll see you next week, everybody. Goodbye. We'll